Luke 1, verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Pray with me. Father, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your word that you've given to us um, to reveal yourself. We thank you for your great plan to, to send us a savior and a redeemer in Jesus, um, but, but not one that was, uh, that was foreign to us, one who actually became man, was born as a baby, and uh, thus can, can understand what it means to live this life that we're all living. Um, Jesus, we just thank you for that humility you had to, to leave heaven and, and uh, come and, and live this life with us, in the dust with us, um, around sinners. And Holy Spirit, I just pray, um, as Zach preaches this morning, that you would um, work in him, that you would, um, it would be your words. I pray that, that this passage would just change our hearts and we would understand more truth about you and that we would worship you um, because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can grab a seat. Well, good morning, PBC. My name's Zach. I'm a community group leader here. Uh, been here since day one of PBC. Me and my wife, Tara, lead a community group over at near Fifth Avenue in Osborne on Thursday nights and um, have the opportunity to preach the word to you guys today. I'm excited for that. Um, so you made it through Thanksgiving and three football games and the trip to Fan Hangover and you're here, and this is the first Sunday of Advent, a season called Advent. Now, Advent is something that comes from um, our brothers and sisters who are in a liturgical tradition, so they have these common books of prayer that they follow, and it kind of breaks the year into seasons, and so actually in the liturgical calendar, today's the first day of the year. They start with Advent, and they move forward from here. And so with that, I have strong church historical evidence that you don't get to listen to Christmas music until now. <laughs> and so those of you who've been listening before, you just like to watch the world burn. So, um, but um, what Advent means is, is a coming. It means the coming. So it's, it's the coming of Christ. That's what we're celebrating, is this, this coming of Jesus. And so... Um, Today, we are taking a look at this passage here from Luke. This is kind of the first announcement of Jesus' coming. This is when Mary finds out how God's going to use her to bring forth the promised Messiah, the Savior. And in that, as I was kind of looking through these, uh, these liturgies and kind of trying to maybe find a passage before I came onto this one, I found it was interesting that um, all the passages for the first week of Advent I'll talk about Jesus' second coming. I thought there was something interesting with that, and so I kind of thought through that. And so today we're going to look, obviously, at, at this, this story here that talks about the first coming of Jesus, but also talk about why it's not the only thing we should be remembering and thinking about during this season. So 
A little general context as far as what's going on historically during this time when uh, Mary uh, is alive, when Jesus is born. It's at the end of a period of basically silence from God. So about 500 years since a prophet had come that was proclaiming the word of, of God. So there's been 500 years of silence from God. The people of Israel have been looking forward to and waiting for this Messiah that the prophets have been talking about, but they haven't heard anything for 500 years. On top of that, for about 300 years on and off, they've been under pagan rule. So they've been conquered by the Greeks and by the Romans. They've had um, their temple desecrated by pagan rulers. And so they're in this process of they're still looking and hoping for this Messiah, but I imagine for a lot of them, the, the hope's going away. And it's in this context that you see this announcement come to Mary. And this claim of a Messiah wasn't unusual either. There were lots of people claiming to be Messiahs during this time. It was a time of political strife, and so it was kind of a ripe time for activists to pop up and claim to be Messiahs who are gonna lead this Jewish revolt to overthrow the pagans. And so there's these different Messiahs popping up throughout it. Um, probably like one example of that is where we got the Dead Sea Scrolls that we have today was from a sect that probably about 100 years before Jesus went out into the desert to wait for <laughs> the Messiah to come. And um, that's where we found their, their scrolls and things like that. So this is not a uncommon thing to have happen of, of this kind of promise of Messiah. The difference is, is how this Messiah came and the announcement of it. So. Um, Luke is writing an account of the events of Jesus' life based on eyewitness accounts. So he's going back and interviewing these people. This wasn't you know, written in real time. Luke goes back and probably interviews Mary about this. That's probably where he got this information from. And he's already recounted the story of John the Baptist and the, um, in some ways, miraculous birth that's gonna happen with him through Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so we then jump into the story where we're at the angels already showed up to Mary, and we kind of dive in right there, and that's where, that's where we're looking at. So verse 30 here says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus. Now, if this was the entire announcement right there, it's probably not that great a news for, for Mary. Um, the angel says she has found favor, or that, that word there, favor, is grace. So it's not something she's earned. It's she's found unmerited favor from God. Cool. And then it says, you're going to have a son. She's like, what? Um, a lot of us are familiar with this, but, but Mary's a young woman who's betrothed to her husband, who now just got told she's going to become pregnant. But she hasn't consummated her marriage yet. You see where there might be a problem there? Especially in a culture that takes that kind of thing very, very seriously. So just this announcement alone, if this is where it stops, this isn't necessarily good news for Mary. Although the angel says, you found favor with God, you're gonna become pregnant and be cast out of your, your community if it stays there. And so it's not the fact that she's going to be pregnant and miraculous, it's who she's going to give birth to and how it'll happen that is the good news. And that's the favor she has found. And so we see that in verse 32. It says, He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so in this passage here, Gabriel says five things about who Jesus is going to be. And so he starts with, he will be great. And now this is interesting. There's a contrast here of calling Jesus great that's different than how we see other characters in Scripture called great. Even John the Baptist. A lot of other characters, when we read in stories, it says something like, he will be great in the eyes of the Lord, or he will be great in your eyes. There's always a qualifier with it. There's always something that, that gives it. It's not this blanketed statement, he will be great. Here, there's no, there's no qualifier. It simply says, he will be great. So this is contrasting with the rest of humanity, which is not great. And also with this John the Baptist just before, who uh, his greatness wasn't absolute, it was qualified. And so the first thing we see here is that this baby that Mary is going to give birth to is going to be great. And not great in some areas, not great in the eyes of the Lord because the Lord has given them favor, but he will simply be great. There's gonna be something different about this baby Jesus. Number two, he will be called the son of the most high. And so this, this phrase, the most high, is a, uh, it's a circo, circolocution, I shouldn't even try to say it. It's a roundabout way of saying God. So in the Old Testament, they try to avoid saying the name of God. They find other ways to describe God, and that's one of these things. And so this goes back as early as Genesis 14, 18, with Melchizedek, where he's the priest of Yahweh, the most high God. And then we see it throughout the Old Testament, that this is the absolute one true and only God, and that this Jesus is going to be called a son. So as a son, he'll be the heir of the household of the Most High. He'll have all the rights and responsibilities of the heir. He will take on that mantle from the Father. He has certain privileges of being the son. And then this mention of divine sonship here kind of sets the groundwork for the rest of what, what Gabriel has to say about who Jesus is. This is the foundation of it, that because Jesus is going to be the Son of God, these other things will follow. And so it's important for us to, to realize that there, that, that first and foremost, Jesus is going to be great. He's going to be the Son of God. And through that is how he's going to fulfill all these other messianic prophecies, all these other expectations that the Jewish people had for him. But the only way that happens is because he is the Son of God, because he carries that, that authority and that responsibility that comes with being the heir to God. So number three, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And so this establishes Jesus as Israel's Messiah. This is specific. The people of that time would have understood what that claim was. Mary would have understood that Gabriel saying, this is the Messiah that you're waiting for, that your people are waiting for. This refers back to the Davidic covenant of 2 Samuel, uh, chapter 7, verses 12 through 13 and 16. I'll just read it to you here. It says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so this passage was Yahweh telling Samuel to go tell David this, that he was going to make this covenant with David that his offspring will eventually rule forever. And so 
by giving this title to Jesus, Gabriel's making clear this is the one. This isn't the counterfeit messiahs that have been claiming it for themselves. This is the real thing. It's happening. And it's passages like these that the people of Israel would have looked to for hope during this time. They would have looked to promises like, like the Davidic covenant to be something to hold on to hope of knowing, like, though we are under Roman rule now, though we are oppressed, though we are uh, held down by evil, God's made a promise that eventually one of our own will rule and reign forever. Number four, he will reign over the house of Jacob. This is another messianic claim. The house of Jacob is another way of saying Israel. Jacob was the father of uh, all the different tribes of Israel. And so, again, he reiterates this messianic promise. And then finally, number five, forever. His kingdom will never end. This coming Messiah is going to be the final Davidic king. He's going to rule forever, both in this age and in the next. And so Gabriel comes and lays this all on this betrothed young woman. Like, surprise, you're going to be pregnant. And it's going to be God and the Messiah. And the question Mary asks, I think, is so interesting because there's questions I could think of to ask. Like, this is a legitimate question, but I feel like there would be other ones that might pop in my head first. So Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Which is a valid question. Like, biologically, how is this going to happen? But it seems like there'd be other questions that'd be racing through my head at that moment. Like, after everything that Gabriel had just laid out before me of, like, why me? Like, I don't have anything. I'm not elite. I don't have power. We live in a little tiny village. My husband's a carpenter. What? Like, what are we, like, you got, did you get the right address? What happened here? She doesn't ask any of those questions, which is interesting to me. I don't understand why this is the one that she comes to. Um, but I, I think I understand why this is the question that made it into scripture. And it's because of what the angel's answer is. It's, it's theologically important what the angel's response is. And so of all the questions she asks, she says, how will this be, since I am a virgin? Uh, the angel's answer is, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So the Holy Spirit will perform this great miracle so that Mary will become pregnant without any sexual relations with a man. Therefore, indicates that Jesus' holiness comes from that. So when he says... Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. That's why the child will be called holy, because it's not born of natural causes, of a man. And though Jesus was a genuine human being, we hold to that, he was 100% God and 100% man, because of this miraculous birth, he was not born with a sinful nature. And that's significant, that's huge. Without that, it doesn't matter. The rest of it doesn't matter if Jesus is born with a sinful nature. Paul talks about a little bit in Romans 5, this idea of death came to the human race through Adam, and then our redemption came through Jesus. Jesus is the only person to have ever been born that's not part of the lineage of Adam, because he wasn't born through, through the father, through the seed of Adam. 
So this is not insignificant. This isn't something we can blow off. This isn't something like one author about five, ten years ago wrote that if tomorrow we found archaeological evidence that Jesus had a dad, that his name was Sam, that that wouldn't change the story of Jesus, that completely changes the story of Jesus. We need to understand that, that that's something we need to hold tightly to, that Jesus' birth was a miracle, that it was an immaculate conception, because without that, everything else he does afterwards doesn't matter, because he's already marred by sin. So what? So what does this have to do with us today? It's like, great, nice history lesson, Zach. Thanks for the theological point at the end. What does that have to do with us? One, during this Advent season, we tend to keep Jesus in the manger. Um, we tend to focus so much on this idea of the nativity scene and Jesus in the manger and all the historical inaccuracies that we love that we're not going to let go of because it makes us feel warm and tingly inside. We like to keep Jesus in the manger because it reminds us of Jesus humbling himself for us, which gives us that kind of warm and tingly. He's like, oh, God did something for me. And that's true. We need to remember that. That's amazing that God chose to come to his creation and enter into his creation to live among us. But at the same time, Jesus didn't stay a baby. Despite what Ricky Bobby had to say about it, Jesus didn't stay a baby. And so for us to forget that is to only get part of the story. If Jesus was just born, it was an immaculate conception, and then didn't do anything else afterwards, it's just kind of a cool story that's weird. But it's not anything that's going to change our life. And so as we see from before, during the verses here, much more than just a baby was promised. There's all these different messianic predictions. There's this claiming of Jesus as the Son of God. That all didn't happen with little baby Jesus in the manger. Jesus grew up. He went into ministry. He gathered the disciples. He performed miracles. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died a death he didn't deserve. It was a death that was prophesied by Isaiah. There's other prophecies that go beyond the immaculate birth that we need to think of, that we need to remember. This was the coming of the king, this idea of, of Jesus being born, but it wasn't the completion of the establishment of the kingdom. And so because of this, we can't leave Jesus in the manger during the Christmas season. It's good Good, remember that. Remember that Jesus came, but we need to look farther ahead. If, it's, if all that happened was Jesus was born and he doesn't live the life he lived, then celebrating the birth of a baby is weird, the way we celebrate it, if that's all that he did. We need to think about the fact he lived this life that was sinless, that he did miraculous things, that he died and rose again for us. And because Jesus was born, lived a sinless life, died and rose again, now... Not only do we in the season of Advent look back on this first Advent, but we live perpetually right now in a season looking forward to another Advent. And that's what I find so interesting about when I look at all these other liturgical calendars and all these passages that they uh, focus on. They're all about Jesus coming back. That's where liturgical churches start their Christmas season, is looking forward to Jesus coming back. Because 
some of the things that are promised even to Mary in this passage haven't fully been completed yet. Jesus has established his, he has inaugurated his kingdom here. He's ruling and reigning in heaven right now. But he hasn't come back to destroy all evil. He hasn't come back to call his church unto himself. That hasn't happened yet. So there's still things that we're waiting for in anticipation. And so as we remember Jesus coming, we need to look forward to Jesus coming again. We can't separate those two things. With one without the other is meaningless. And we can even see this in our Jewish friends who are still waiting for a Messiah who fits what they expected. They're looking for one who would put an end to the oppression of sin and evil. But we can see in Scripture that that Messiah is coming when Jesus comes back again. And he's coming back for those who recognize him as king when he was born lowly. And so we can see that story in Revelation 19. It's going to be on the screen here. But this is the Jesus that we worship now. This is the one that, that we look forward to, not baby Jesus. Revelation 19.11 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and a name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the Jesus we worship now. That's the Jesus that's in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father. Not baby Jesus. Baby Jesus is good, but if he doesn't grow up, live the life he does, and ascend back into heaven to be who he is now, it doesn't matter. Don't lose sight of that during this Christmas season. That's why we can celebrate this. We can celebrate his coming because we know he's coming again. And he's coming in a very different way that we know is going to end our suffering. That's going to set up perfect relationship for us that we're going to be able to live in communion with God. We don't worship a helpless baby. We worship a mighty, faithful, trustworthy king. We know his return will, to establish his rule on earth in a more tangible way, and we should look forward to that day with great anticipation. So, this Advent season, yes, remember Jesus Listen to Christmas music. Do the things you do, but don't spend the entire time looking back at what Jesus has done only, but look forward to what he's going to do. The season of Advent is a season of anticipation in the same way that the people of Israel waited for 500 years of silence for God to return and make his announcement that Jesus had come we should be waiting that same anticipation, waiting for Jesus to come again. That we should have this excitement knowing that, that we're part of the people of God and that we're going to be drawn to him, that we're going to live with him and that we're going to be able to celebrate with him. And that the hopes of the people of God from thousands of years ago, we're going to experience that 
we're gonna experience the perfect joy of knowing Jesus face to face, eye to eye, living with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that we can spend this time of year celebrating the fact that Jesus came, that you chose to come and be a part of your creation, that you chose to live a life subject to uh, the abuse of the people you created. But we don't lose sight of the fact that a baby born without a sinless life and a death on a cross isn't worth celebrating. That ultimately what we're celebrating is the fact that that birth was the beginning of your solution to save us. And that though we experience some of the blessings of that kingdom that started now, we know that you're coming back again and that when you come back, you will not come back as a baby. You're gonna come back as a ruling king, a good king. And so help us during this season, God, not to get wrapped up in just the birth story and miss the details that point towards who Jesus was to become and who he is coming back to be. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.